Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. In this podcast, we will talk about the association of power and appearance, and especially how the nature of being human, of being homo sapiens, involves us relentlessly comparing ourselves to others, typically finding ourselves lacking and then feeling resentful. Polly and I are going to be talking about dress to kill. Appearance is power. The Buddha repeatedly taught that we should regard ourselves and others by the consequences of our actions, including our speech, and not by our appearances. And yet, most of us evaluate and compare ourselves by our appearances all of the time. Why is that? As Leonard Cohen famously said in his hymn, If it be your will, Draw us near and bind us tight, all your children here in their rags of light. In our rags of light, all dressed to kill, and end this night, if it be your will. And so in this podcast, Polly and I will talk about both our rags of light and the power of appearance in human relationships. Welcome, Polly. <laughs> Thanks, Eleanor. Wow, this is a really big yeah, it is. Subject, and, <laughs> and it timely. Has, and it <laughs> has lots and lots of layers mm. in it, you mm. know. I think that the issue of how we evaluate ourselves and others is sort of the, one of the very sort of first things to think about. And the Buddha taught again and again that our only belongings are our actions mm -hmm. and the consequences of our actions. Everything else we lose. We lose everything when we die, all of our friends, our body, our property, uh, anything we've achieved, anything we seem to have, it goes away. Uh, and over our lifetime, we begin to lose more as we move on. And uh, the idea that we would actually encounter ourselves and each other through our actions and the consequences of our actions, and that that would be the importance of being human is, I believe, where the light comes in, mm -hmm. because the that sense of light in being human is the way that we can reach a wisdom by constraining our reactivity and noticing things as they are. So we've been talking about that in other podcasts as a kind of a way of love. Love and loving kindness come through uh, our ability to simply discern and engage and discern and engage. But very often, 
when we're walking around, we're not doing that. <laughs> and, right. and instead, what we're often doing is comparing ourselves to others and finding ourselves lacking. And often what we do in comparing and in feeling empowered is we think and feel about our appearances Um, And I thought I would ask you uh, to talk about your video, Self-Portraits, because that was a very big part of your life and the adventure of being a videographer by actually filming people. And tell us about how that worked, what it was and... uh, and what you were doing with it, and how long you did it, and so on. Well, I think a good, you know, over 20 years, and and literally working with hundreds of people, and what was extraordinary about it was I wanted to give people an experience of self-appreciation, and the ability to give voice to the truth of their own life as they knew it. So in other words, they would tell the truth to themselves about what was most important in their life or how they they understood many, many things. And I, I wanted people to have the freedom to go into their own wounding. So what was the setup? So, when you set it up that you, they would come into your studio and you would have a camera in front of them and then well, you'd ask them questions? Or? Yeah, I just, I mean, I had a process that I, that I created. And, you know, so I would take people through an inner journey. And then I would, then after they went through that inner journey, there would be a moment where they, they wrote certain things down. And then I would put them in front of the camera. And I was, I never interacted with them. In other words, I never spoke. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when you're working with video, you can stop and start and you can, but there was no editing involved. I mean, I had a way of, you know, just working with them where we, where they stayed in their own voice. They stayed in their own experience and they told the truth about their lives in a way that maybe they never had done before. And so after we went through that process, which was one hour, then we would stop and take a break and have a cup of tea or whatever. And then I would play the video back and they would sit with me and they would look at themselves. The thing that struck me that that was just awesome was that over a period of many, many years, it was always the same thing. The first thing that happened when someone looked at themselves on camera was they saw everything that was wrong with them. And it was very, very hard for them to look at themselves. So there was that initial process. So there was something about the way I held the energy that, that kind of permissioned that. And then it would go from from all of the self-rejection and self-loathing and all of that kind of stuff into self-acceptance. And then, then there was there was an awakening where there was a they had this this compassion for themselves and something very liberating about being able to tell the truth about their own lives in their own in their own words and from their own way of understanding it. And so there was a kind of ownership in that. And then the other thing that was always interesting was that after the experience, they would say to me, well, can you make me 25 copies of this? Or they would, they would mm-hmm. want to share that with everybody in their lives mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a way that, that also created communication and dialogue in a way that they had never experienced before. So it was just a very, it was a very rare kind of privilege. And also then you captured a moment in time. So these video self-portraits became treasured objects. I mean, people used to put them in safe deposit boxes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and things. And then to go back, you know, years later, people talk to me, they would go back years later and look at their portraits Hmm. and have an experience of themselves and a memory of their lives in a way that they had lost up until that point. And so what you noticed was that 
it was also the visual appearance that affected them because you could have audio taped them. Right, no, it was, but there was, yeah, but, it, yeah, but the yeah, videotape yeah. gave them this yeah. visual feedback. Right. And it was and done high, you know, it was done very professionally and it was high quality and it was a big screen and mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah. So what we're talking about today is that sense of the power of appearance, of appearance. and the way that we use that both in our attitude towards ourselves, but also in a group situation in terms of feeling power or using power or commanding power. And I guess what I think is particularly remarkable is that you said that to to a person, everybody had a negative reaction mm. when they first saw the visual image of themselves on the screen. So in a way, it sort of proves the point of this kind of negative self-importance that they were actually looking at an image and seeing what was wrong with it was the very first thing they saw. So nobody sat down and said, wow, I I look fine or I look pretty great. They instead noticed what they didn't like and what they wanted to change in their appearance. And I only had one person out of all the people I worked with, only one person who couldn't look at herself. And why? So she couldn't look at herself could, at all? No, her, her level of self-contempt was so great that when I went to the, to the, the part of the experience where she had to look at herself on the screen, she couldn't do it. And so that wasn't, I didn't want to push her or anything right. like that. She just right. couldn't do it. So we ended right. there. Right. And the other thing I wanted to share, I had this woman who was uh, the head of a bank, very, very important person and very powerful person. And she came in, gorgeous woman, and she was in all her Armanis and everything. She came into my loft and she like kicked off her shoes and she changed, she took off her Armanis and put on this like t-shirt and jeans. Mm. She took off all her jewelry. She pushed Mm. her hair back. She took all her makeup off and she went in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. And that for her was she wanted to meet that part of herself, Hmm. you know, to get away from this other kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. persona that she, you know, Mm -hmm. she, she lived. Mm -hmm. And that was quite something to, um, to witness. Well, you know, what's interesting about both of those cases is that they both are taking the appearance of the self to be the self. You know, in the one case, the woman can't bear to look at this appearance because somehow it means something to her that is so difficult that she can't bear to look at it. And in the other case, the woman wants to change her appearance so that she thinks it will be more authentic to something that she regards as herself. So, you know, there is... um, I think at a very first level, an interesting issue about confusing a certain kind of appearance with what we call the self. And the way that we've been talking about it in the podcast, and I think it's absolutely reality, the self is an interactive process. It's not any appearance at all. It's not the body. It's not any moment of the body. It's nothing that actually has to do with the body because it's interactive. And like I said, if it were the body, then when the body would be dead, the self would be dead. Instead, we know that the self isn't there. We regularly would say, well, the self is gone. So the self is not the body 
and the self is not the appearance of the body, and the self is certainly not any particular afternoon and the appearance of that afternoon. And I think also one of the things that happened for people who were doing the video self-portraits was that it was a chance for them to... um, to move beyond their appearances. In other words, to find that, to, to give expression to that part of themselves right. that didn't live in their normal mm-hmm. everyday existence, mm-hmm. to find that mm-hmm. very, very private reflection mm-hmm. back about what was most mm-hmm. cherished mm-hmm. in their own lives. Well, I was thinking about, you know, in the Leonard Cohen song where he obviously is contrasting this tremendous vulnerability mm. of, of the people that are here, the people on earth, the people in samsara, the people who are caught, as he calls, uh, says in this, um, in this kind of hell realm, where, where we suffer so much, that in the rags of light, they have, they come in rags of, of light, light, but they're dressed to kill. Right. Wow. And so, you know, it's the idea that you're dressed to kill and that you maybe take that more seriously than the rags of light. It seems to be a kind of an interesting idea. And uh, I was thinking also about Leonard Cohen's teacher, Sasaki Roshi, in one of the videos where Cohen is talking about living at Mount Baldy, where he was for five years. And he said that when he was hanging out with Roshi, because he was his personal attendant, that they almost never talked. Um, because Roshi said that's when people get into conflict is when they start to talk. Um, But I also know from being in a number of Zen environments that there are almost no mirrors. So what's being eliminated is both the appearance as a kind of, um, let's say, uh, uh, the appearance as a kind of summary of what it means to be human. And then also, you know, the language of saying, here's my story. This is what, you know, I think is the story. In the video self-portraits, people were telling their stories, but they were also connected to the appearance. And the appearance side of it brought out a lot of negativity in the way people approached their self-portrait yeah and they're they're the and the the, the uh, stages of 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 receiving themselves that mm-hmm. was that was the gateway in the beginning right. uh you know for, seeing the image yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then they they would then that, that dropped away yeah yeah so there was something about the degree to which they were able to be in their own truth that allowed that 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 i mean that's a stage so and the, then you don't have a lot of opportunity in, in, in life to, to meet yourself in that way. That was why I was using the video right, versus just right, audio. Right. I wanted the picture with the sound. And it's only in this period of time that we have pictures. Or yeah, that, well, you know, this it's, was before social media. Right. And now we have lots and lots of pictures. We can take pictures yeah, every right. moment of the day this with was, our iPhones yeah. and the eye cameras. There was no Instagram so, back then. No, no. <laughs> But, you know, when you think about a hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, there wasn't even much in the way of mirrors. That's right. You know, and so people were not capturing their appearance in the way that we capture it now. Not that appearance was unimportant, because over eons of time, uniforms, various kinds of costumes, various... This is one of England when you think about what her... 
or or even you know the kimonos in japan these are costumes that show your tribal association they quickly give an image that can be read of where you stand in society right but what those costumes did not do is they did not distinguish you as a specific individual whereas now we have this very big thing going on with our specific bodies. Like, is my body too short, too tall, too too fat, too thin, too this way, too that way? That kind of review of our own bodies as individuals and then mistaking that for ourselves. Right. You know, and that seems to be a very, very big preoccupation in the culture. And in some ways, that's gotten bigger as we've gotten into the kind of specific identity politics of, uh, you know, I'm a this kind of person with a this kind of orientation and a this kind of skin and a this kind of hair and a this kind of social class and so on. It's as though we've gotten more preoccupied with individual identity from the point of view of appearance. Right. So that the people, when we walk into a room, we maybe don't show a lot of curiosity within ourselves about who's in the room. Instead, we look around to see how they're dressed and to see what they're, how they're coiffed mm-hmm. or whether they're old or young and whether they have a particular cool or manner or style. And it seems like that has become let's say, the stand-in for many, many things, right. you know, many, many things. And I, and I believe social media has actually made that more problematic, that people look at pictures right. all of the time right. now. Or if people you know. have, have their image, but if they can't Photoshop it, they panic. So in other words, they'll send out their pictures if they can Photoshop it. But if if, the, if something slips through that isn't Photoshop, they, they have a panic attack. So let's try to deconstruct that. What do you think Photoshopping is? Well, it just makes them look better. By what standard? Right. I mean, right. what's the standard yeah, there? Yeah. But what I do you, mean, I mean well, truly, what do you think is the standard? Is it like a 25-year-old white person or is it? Well, I mean, you it know, like, I mean, it could be whatever, whatever that, whatever a twenty-five your year old. Of, well, certainly, youth. you know, African American person or a twenty-five year. I mean, it's always like if youth well, you is know, the standard, yeah. then the photoshopping has to be towards make that you, youth. youth. Youth, yes, yes, yes. and so or, or plastic surgery is that too to make you look younger or so to, that's that's the sort yeah, of standard. Yeah. So the standard is unwise. Yeah. It's before you get wise. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I when I was taking the train up to see you, Polly, you know, the long, long train ride. I like to um, kind of you know like empty my mind and I, I read Vogue, which I've I've always loved. And the thing that I found so meaningful for me personally when I was reading Vogue this last issue was the amount of African-American and these beautiful, beautiful women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had never seen, I didn't grow up seeing that. I mean, Mm. there were more, there were more images of, 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 of young black women than I had ever seen before. I mean, there were just pages and pages of them and not the African-American. I mean, these extraordinary women who brought out of these villages in Africa because Mm -hmm. of their extraordinary Mm -hmm. beauty. Mm -hmm. But but to see that now in a way, the same thing that's starting to happen in our film culture, where you can see, you know, more and more um, diversity. And I have to say that my uh, my idol was Tina Turner, ah, but she was was not. But it was not necessarily 
the way Tina Turner looked. It was her energy. It was her movement. Yeah. And her ability to engage. Mm. No, just engage with her experience no matter what. Right. Whether she was in a battle with Ike. Right. Or whether she was, you know, doing a, a dance on stage. Like, at every different level, to me, Tina Turner, in, in a sense, you know, I would say who happened to be African-American because right. that wasn't what, I mean, I know Tina Turner from her music, from her dancing, and I know she's a Buddhist, but right, for years is. I didn't know that. Yeah. But it was just that the, the embodiment of her um, being that was so compelling. And similarly with Madonna, also a person that I was drawn to by her energy and her embodiment, not necessarily her appearance. But I think that the issue of the appearance itself in the way that people now, I look, I watch sometimes when I'm on public transportation or in the city, people looking at their telephones. Oh, yeah. And what they're doing is they're flashing through Instagram. Ah. So they're flashing through lots and lots of images. And the images, by and large, are images of some sort of perfect this or perfect that. I mean, a perfect family, a perfect... And it can oh, range right, in right, diversity, right, 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 right. but it's almost always a, a, a completely perfect kind of image. And I think that I wonder often what that's doing to the individual who's looking at that, whether there is then a negative comparison and a sense of power that's being you know, projected into that image, like this is a perfect family, this is a perfect afternoon, this is a perfect outfit, this is a perfect body. And that, that power that gets projected there can be, I think, a really, really big mistake because it, it it's it's creating something that is uh, an illusion about what really is worthwhile, what you could be cultivating, but maybe more than anything else, it seems like it could be creating a negative feeling towards oneself, that one's own situation, one's own body, one's own conditions are somehow to be denigrated because they don't meet this particular or the, power. The fantasy world that they create through through all of those illusions. Yeah. That's where they have their freedom when they come away from that. They don't know who they are. Well, you know, that would be good if they didn't know who they are. But I, I think that what they do instead is they become negative about themselves. Yeah. You know, instead of just not knowing, right. well, that's they, they true. go would... into this kind of... You would take it into the deeper neg- meaning. Yeah, it's some kind of negativity. Yeah, well, it is a know. negativity because they're very uncomfortable with themselves. So they go back into the fantasy realm or the, or the projected realm that they capture on their Instagram or in their Facebook. And a lot of people also, a lot of the young, just make up... I mean, it's very creative they make up all these stories about their lives yeah it makes it easier for them to live in their lives but then then that becomes that delusion yes. that the power yes of actually being here right. in yes. our rags of light the right. power is in our appearance right. rather than in our light in the way that we can engage in the way that we can actually open the possibilities that even when things are bad, we can remain interested, we can remain engaged. And that is something, again, that 
I, I think what Leonard means by the rags of light is that we have some aspects that are truly transcendent, that are part of being human, and that we have the possibility for wisdom by practicing those aspects. But then on the other hand, we're coming in this form that's dressed to kill. And, and there I think of, you know, we come in this form of Homo sapiens, a very violent organism, and one interested in power and fiction. And what better way to create power and fiction than to believe in appearance? If you believe to that a persona, to have the a persona, yeah, to have yeah. that persona, that 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 false self that gives you access to a self, but you again, you're lost to who you really are. So you really are dressed in rags of light. Yeah, you have some rags of. Everyone has some light. I, you know, there's no question that everybody has the possibility of actually being a Buddha. Everybody has a, that a, within a, a them. A greater human being. Yeah, to become a yeah. human being. Well, to me, the Buddha is simply an awakened human yeah, being. It's right. not something more than a human right. being. It's right. just a human being awake. Yeah. But the, to go back to the idea of the mask in regard to appearance and to power. So there's a there's a French psychoanalyst whose name is Jacques Lacan. And um, something that Lacan talks about that no other analyst had talked about in this way is what he calls the mirror stage of development. Uh, and basically, he says the, the infant um, and then even the toddler is just kind of a jumble of, of chaotic experience. And we've talked about the world of subjectivity, that in our subjectivity, we can see out, we see images, mm. we see in, right. we hear right. out, we hear, hear in, and we feel out and we feel in. So we're always a kind of chaotic mix of experiences that are not sorted out. That's the reality of self. It's this mix of stuff and, and we're engaging with others and we're protecting certain stories and certain preferences and so on. At the same time, we're having this confusing experience. And um, when the infant is very young, the infant doesn't have the language or the cultural associations or anything. So according to Lacan, you know, at some point, and he locates that point in time, I think, too young, because he says six months old, and I think uh -huh. it's more like 18 months old. Uh -huh. The infant looks into a mirror and sees a single unified image in the mirror. Uh -huh. And so takes this jumbled up mess of stuff and puts that all uh -huh. into that single image and says, oh, that's what it is. That's what I should hang on to is that mirror that image outside, but that's outside of this experience. And so then from then on, that infant wants to be an object of desire, wants somebody out there to give it back that image of, this is who you are. Wow, wow. This is you, you, I'm gonna give you back the feeling wow. of this unified thing is who you are. And that mistake of believing in the mirror becomes then a substitute from Lacan's point of view. It becomes the substitute for having a life. Right. Because you get absorbed in becoming an object of desire right. instead of the subject of your life. And society promotes that. Well, I would say 
our society does. I don't think all societies have always promoted appearance of the in individual the here. in the way yeah. we do. Yeah. We're a consumer society. Right, right. We're based very much on consumerism, and we sell a lot about individual appearance. Right. A lot of money right. gets made right. around that. Yeah. And so I don't think that many, many societies cared that much about how individuals appeared. It's, uh, you know, and the, the whole sort of issue of department stores and shopping and so on, that didn't even happen until about 1910, 1915, mm. the first department stores in New York City. Up until then, people were just sold dry goods. They didn't go shopping to get things to enhance their appearance. So this whole thing about the individual appearance, the standards for appearances, and the power of appearance is relatively new, and I think relatively specific to, I mean, not just American culture, but we do it in a big way here. We do the buying and selling of appearance in a very, very big way. Um, so if you think about that whole thing about using your appearance to defeat others or to put yourself in a position of power. Uh, it seems like, in general, the genders do that maybe a little differently from each other, although in other periods of time, men were definitely the ones to decorate themselves, mm -hmm. and women yeah. were not the decorated yeah. ones. But now women are the more decorating of themselves, and men are maybe a little less decorating, some men anyway. But it seems that particularly women buy into their appearance being a strong sort of symbol of their power. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and maybe they do more of the photoshopping. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they do more. I certainly know they do generally more of the plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you say you're seeing... Uh, younger women, oh, yeah, even in yeah. New York, younger yeah, women yeah, doing yeah, plastic yeah, surgery. Yeah. They need it for their, you know, uh, they feel they need it for their work or they need it for, or they feel that it's giving them more power, giving them more security mm -hmm. uh, to be more effective in their lives. And so that gives them, you know, that becomes the crutch. But well, going that's, in yeah, and that's doing, kind of the narrative that, yeah, of that's it, a, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially, I mean, in the beginning, you know, that, that was a huge thing with all the, you know, the breast enlargements, but then it went on to doing much more of the face as well, which was kind of shocking, especially with young women. Well, I think that um, the idea of plastic surgery and photoshopping fits, though that idea fits very, very well with what you were saying about the video self-portraits, mm -hmm, that... If you see a flaw in this thing that you call your appearance, you believe that if you correct that flaw, you're going to be happier. Yeah. happier. Yeah. And um, actually, if you correct that flaw, probably what's going to happen is that you're going to try to correct more flaws. Right. And as you go on, um, there's, you know, you're going to be subject to the second law of thermodynamics, right. and you're just going to have more and more flaws right. 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 as you go on in life. And so... In that sense, you know, it has nothing to do with power because it's, it's got to do with more with anxiety mm. that, you know, if, you are, if you're going after this um, flaw-based appearance, as you age, 
you're going to have more flaws. Right. And so there's going to be more anxiety about chopping away at those right. flaws. And it also plays a huge, um, you know, it has a, the economic component where a lot of, say, just say women, you know, as they get, uh, as they get, as they age and they're still, you know, at the height of their, their, um, in their professional lives, they go in to do a lot of face work because they can't show their age. So they're not doing it because they themselves necessarily want to do it, but, but their job, in their jobs, they have to do it. Or so they say. Or so they say. So yeah. it's not just, say, in the entertainment world, which you expect that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of my colleagues in the corporate world yeah, have gone through that world. because they yeah. just, that you know, they needed to, they felt they need to be able to con- continue competing on the level they were competing so they needed to and a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about self-hatred yeah and the narrative that that critical narrative about yourself and so all of these things that are supposed to enhance power end up enhancing the critical narrative so in a sense those actually take away from power yeah and i would guess that if women who now are in many positions of power. If they actually endorsed the idea that plastic surgery has nothing to do with power, if they endorsed the idea that the self is not contained in your body, that they could have some big effects on other women. I mean, I don't think that this narrative about appearance is in any way either, let's say, wise or a necessity it's it's a relatively new narrative starting probably around 1960 or so it's not even a hundred years old the whole cosmetic surgery narrative and even the issue of being able to see your mirror image and believe that that's yourself that's even a relatively new thing I mean, eons of time, people didn't have mirrors. They weren't looking into mirrors. And so what are we doing with this idea that our appearance is our power when actually our power has to do with our actions and how we speak and how we're able to affect others in an ongoing way and not at all how we appear? I mean, it seems to me that we've been... We've been sold, I mean, you know, maybe, a bill of goods on yes, that. Yes, and I think know. because we have so much now of a false appearance, maybe what's going to, you know, the, the polar opposite of that's going to get pushed in where there'll be greater um, appreciation for that which is most real. Or, you know, people will, will celebrate their wrinkles. <laughs> I mean, the thing of I get so excited knowing that Glenda Jackson's playing King Lear mm-hmm. at 82 and she's completely wrinkled like a hag. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, but she's just so fully, totally herself. Well, she's actually very good at what she does. She, or she wouldn't be yeah. able to do it when she's 82. You right. know, it has nothing yeah. to do with her appearance, right. really. It has to do with her skill. She's lived and apparently such an also life. her memory that she yeah. can remember those lines yeah, right. and bring them on stage and engage with them so again if we could exciting if we could think about the reality of what the self is that it's an interactive process it's not contained in the body and what is power power is associated typically with the way you influence others and the way you influence others is largely through your actions and the things that you say not the way you look. And the way you look changes and changes and changes. And 
when most of the time you're walking around, you're not looking at your own face. Other people are looking at your face and you don't know what it is. Right. And then, I mean, Jung came up with the idea of the persona as a kind of mask. Right. I mean, he wasn't the first person to say that, but right. he talked about it as a mask you need in order to involve yourself in the social environment. Right, right. Because yes. you're so vulnerable right. when you're in a social environment. And the reason you're vulnerable, as we talked about in an earlier podcast, is you have all these self-conscious emotions that that motivate you to compare yourself with others. So you need something that you can put on that's like a mask. And then you go out there, but you don't want to confuse yourself with a mask. And you don't want to confuse other people with their masks either. Well, that's a either. tricky thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... But again, now we're so confused because we have the idea that the power comes from the mask right. instead exactly. of coming from the actions. Exactly. And Although there is, there is, a, there is a, a greater hunger now for authenticity, you know, for, for that which is more real. That, you know, even, even in my field, you have, you have a lot of very powerful directors who are saying, I don't want, I want, a, fa- I don't want a face that's been, you know... Um, um, doctor, mm-hmm. they don't want the plastic. They want they want a living, breathing face. They mm-hmm. want a living, breathing body. I mean, it's rarer, but you know, it's also very exciting when you can see that. When you can see a breathing face, say like in in film and stuff, which you see much more in Europe than you do here. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing too. Just I just want to say that authenticity, and I understand why you're saying this, mm-hmm. but authenticity really is not appearance. It's mm-hmm. not the way the face is. or No, no, no. it's the spirit coming yes, through. Yes, exactly. And so, but it seems like authenticity has to do with appearance now, right now, as people are experiencing, oh, she doesn't have a facelift or he hasn't had a facelift means he's authentic or he's a little bit more real yeah or he has yeah. something it's yeah. again it's that confusion yes of the it's appearance <laughs> with the reality you yeah. know that the confusion that that the way you appear somehow yeah. has some bigger meaning than your actions or the way that you're affecting others right. and i i do think that um So going back to, you know, the way that the Buddha looked at this, the idea that the only thing that belongs to you is your actions seems a a little bit non-intuitive because you would say, well, my actions keep disappearing. You know, I mean, I I do actions and then they disappear and then something else comes in and I do something else. But it, the consequences of your actions go out into the world like ripples and then the ripples actually affect others, and then those ripples come back to you. That's right. And in many ways, you could say you're also talking about karma. Well, of course, yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't want to and mention so, that yes, word. Yes, I mean it's, <laughs> that it's, big, big it's, word, it's, karma. Well, yeah, well, it sets. Or I'm always saying beneficial seeds, beneficial seeds. You know, I mean, it's the preciousness of beneficial seeds, beneficial karma. So that, yeah. so the 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 idea that That's this right. kind of attitude towards yourself in which you recognize that what you call yourself is a set or a habit of interactions with others and that you could imbue those interactions with loving kindness. You could imbue those those interactions with curiosity and this desire to keep engaging Mm -hmm. and that that might be 
the inherent power of your wisdom, your wisdom being this nature that you have to awaken, that that awakening, though, has nothing to do with your appearance and that has nothing to do with your your true power, but rather with this capacity to bring in this way of being with others and yourself right. that keeps, keeps on opening up, keeps yeah. on yeah. being interested, yeah. keeps on engaging, even yeah. through the pain and the difficulty. Yes. But that, that those are your rags of light. Yes. You know, I would say that that's, we're dressed also in these rags of light. We have this light, which is connected to us, but we're dressed to kill on another level. And that is that level in which we confuse the appearance Mm. with the actual authenticity of the person's ability to be a Buddha, to be awake, to be enlightened, and to affect others with loving kindness all the time. You know, to so make a difference in a way that really matters. To make a difference in yeah, a way that yeah. could bring about something like uh, the end of war. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, end, end, the of end of war. war. Yeah. yeah, and so from war to wisdom. Yeah, yeah, from war to wisdom, and right. with you know, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't dress up or that you shouldn't, of course, actually not. use yeah. color and so on. But yeah. that not to take it so seriously. Right. I mean, it's not actually where or power is. Not to be is. a mask. Not to not, have yeah, it be a mask. Not to have it yeah. be a mask, yeah. and not to, not to be so self-critical, right. and not right. to actually assume that's yeah. where your power yeah. lies. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff, Polly. <laughs> As <Thank> always, you. <laughs> thank you, Eleanor, and I hope that you know your video self-portrait projects can go forward so that people have that possibility mm. of engaging with their appearance it's not themselves but yeah, it's their appearance yeah, yeah. in a, a way that that allows them to see something and feel something uh, in the moment yeah. when it's happening yeah. about themselves yeah, so yeah. very precious so, yeah thank you <laughs> thank you polly thanks so much for listening and to continue the conversation you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter you can find past episodes of the podcast on itunes stitcher google play and Castbox. enemies from war to wisdom is recorded and produced by chris coltrane <laughs>